can I find the Jedi? Take the Foundling to the city of Kaladin on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ahsoka Tano. Tell her you were sent by Bo-Katan. And thank you. Your bravery will not be forgotten. This is the way. This is the way. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. What is up, everybody? This is the way to another awesome episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, broadcasting live on channel1138.com and also coming to you through the power of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, StarWarsUnderworld.com, and so many other places. I'm Zach Ronald. I'm very excited to be back on the show. It's been a couple of weeks, and there's been some really awesome discussions in my absence, as I'm sure there will be more next week when I also cannot be back. <laughs> uh, my my schedule has just been super weird this fall, but I appreciate everyone's patience, particularly the other guy that's on this episode with me tonight. We've got some more Mando on tap for you guys and girls and whatever binary or non-binary function you claim to be a part of. It's all-inclusive, all the galaxies, all for you, and we're super excited for this particular talk. Chapters 13 and 14 will be the primary discussion, so if you have not seen The Jedi or The Tragedy, I suggest you hit the pause button now and go watch them and come back, because this is going to be a super spoiler-filled episode. Just putting that right off the top. And to help me break down these two episodes and all the spoilers and the season as a whole... It's my good buddy, my co-host, my friend, Mr. Benjamin Hart. How's it going, Zach? How's it going, everybody? And these episodes, man. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. So much, so much has happened in this show since we last talked about it. And just within the last couple weeks, and for for us right now, just the last few hours, it's been a hell of a ride. And uh, yeah. The Jedi, the tragedy, two massive episodes. It's it's almost unquantifiable. It's un you can't hardly describe what we just saw. Um, and that's what I was thinking about when I was watching this episode uh, at two in the morning last night or, or this morning technically. I'm like, what did I just watch? I saw you post that when I woke up this morning. Like, I guess. It it's like my Twitter feed will show some of my closest connections or whatever. And so like one of the first tweets that popped up on my Twitter feed this morning is what the fudge did I just watch? <laughs> and, and I'm looking at that going, ah, la, 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 because I wasn't able to watch it until I got done with work today. So I had to like go into this social media blackout for 12 or 13 hours because I knew that the SWU and club SWU and Twitter and, you know, a lot of different threads that I'm a part of 
are, are going to, you know, just be all in on the spoilers and discussions, which is great once the episode has been watched, that I didn't want anything to get spoiled for me for the tragedy. And boy, am I glad that I did that. Because as much as the like the Clone Wars fanboy in me enjoyed the Jedi, yeah. the Star Wars fan in me, just the general Star Wars fan in me, immensely enjoyed the tragedy. And it's going to be super difficult for me to come up with a planet score on both of these episodes because it's it's just it's so hard to quantify how well made how well written how well acted these episodes are and just the season as a whole you know a few episodes prior i may have made a few offhand remarks about how this season feels like a bunch of side quests but it's starting to feel like maybe the main quest is finally kicking into gear, right? And it's happening at just the right time. Yeah, it's. I, and I was with you. I was with you. You know, early on, especially we got that second episode. It was like, what? What are they doing here? What is this? You know, what's going on with this? They're you know, he's taking this fish lady. Even the first episode, to a certain extent, was like, you help me do this, and I'll help you with this. But it had nothing to do with finding the Jedi. It had everything to do with saving a little western town and giving the Mandalorian his armor back. Yeah, like, it was like it was like totally like he goes there to find a Mandalorian. He doesn't. He finds Cobb Vanth, and he's like, "Oh well, since you're here, I'll just go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and help you out and help get rid of your great dragon. Like no big deal." Exactly. This is going to be a potentially life-threatening activity, but I'm going to do this anyways instead of looking for the Jedi, which is what my purpose is supposed to be right now. Right. So, yeah, so it has been, I'm not going to say every single episode has been amazing. I mean, I think even that second episode was like, you know, it 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 was visually stunning, but it was like, oh, okay, where are they going with this? I think it's increasingly become clear that, like, we're getting towards the end here and things are kicking into high gear. And these last two episodes, I think, uh, definitely highlight that because even though technically speaking, you could you could call them you know side quests, um, you know especially with Ahsoka, but like this is advancing the story. We're learning so much about these characters, and especially little Grogu, which now we know his name, Grogu, which is just crazy on top of everything else. Yeah, that is one of the big things that happened there in Chapter 13, and I guess that's a good place to start with this uh, podcast episode of ours is is going kind of in sequence because as much as I'd love to talk about the entire season up to this point, I mean, we've tried to discuss entire seasons on this show before, and it's gone on for hours. You remember when we tried <laughs> to do a Season 1 discussion of Stranger Things back in the day? Yep, and we did like two or three episodes in a row. We had to do multiple episodes, and each one lasted multiple hours. I think the first one lasted like three and a half, maybe four hours or something like that. One of the longest podcast episodes we've ever done. I do not intend to do that tonight. I don't have the time or the mental capacity or the energy to try and pull off a four-hour-long podcast episode. But, I mean, I probably could spend hours upon hours looking at the depth and complexity and just sheer awesomeness that was... Uh, chapter 13, The Jedi. Uh, you know, we, we got the instructions from Bo-Katan right. to go to the planet Corvus, which seeing Bo-Katan was also really awesome, by the way, just throwing that out there. Yep, yep. Uh, I mean, Katie Sackhoff playing the role that she had in the voice acting position 
and the way that they brought her character to life oh my gosh that was so cool so and good. I know our friend Dan Grievous was freaking out about all the Quarren that you saw in that episode. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like Mon Cala all over again. It was it was another great episode. But uh, to, to show up on Corvus, I really wasn't expecting to see Ahsoka so prominently and so um, right off the bat the way that it was. Like, the entire intro didn't even feature mando and the child it was all about ahsoka and and the town that she was like trying to uh, infiltrate at the right. beginning and and seeing her basically at her peak this is prime ahsoka and to to see her in action in live action in that capacity was just mind-blowing i i i giggled I, I straight up giggled. I'm a 27-year-old man, and I giggled <laughs> at how awesome it was to see her at, at her full strength like that. Uh, how can you not? How can you not? Especially, you know, as, you know, I feel like lifelong, it feels like lifelong anyway, Clone Wars fans that we are, you know, growing up with this character and seeing hey, her. Didn't, didn't the Clone Wars debut in 2008? Yes, it did. I was a freshman in high school. So you you we grew up with this thing. That's the thing. It's like we weren't we weren't kindergartners, but for crying out loud, we weren't adults either. Freshman in high school to now a um, third year grad student. Like I have literally grown up with this character. Yeah, exactly. And literally. she and she's grown up with us. Like you take Ahsoka, you know, early on season one. I'll I'll admit. She's a little annoying. She's a little, you know, she's all this Sky Guy and all this kind of stuff. It's supposed to be that way. But You're it's, stuck with me, Sky Guy. It, exactly. But, like, it's that stuff that, like, it it works so well because she doesn't stay like that for very long. It, it's just a couple right. seasons and she grows in this character. And she almost, by season three and four, is almost, like, wise beyond her age. Like, she's actually, like, you know teaching other characters like she takes Lee Char under her wing you know in the Mon Cala episode stuff like that like she's this wise character and then you fast forward to right now and seeing her in live action and it's no trickery this is it this is her and it's done in my opinion absolutely perfectly like pitch perfect Rosario Dawson I get it people there's a lot of stuff going on we understand that. We get that. But Rosario Dawson, I genuinely think she did an incredible job at getting the mannerisms down, getting just all these little things, and the way she speaks, she clearly did her homework. And, man, I mean, it's just seeing her walk out of animation and into live action quite literally, especially in that opening scene, which is incredible, um, just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Have you have you read the uh, interview with Rosario Dawson that StarWars.com did? I have read parts of it, yes. Oh, man. It warms my heart because we know her as Claire Temple from nice. the MCU. Like, seeing her be able to go from Claire in, like, Daredevil and Luke Cage and, and even Iron Fist. Did she show up in Jessica Jones? Maybe, like, for a brief part. 
I feel like I think she was just contractually obligated to show up in all those shows. So yeah, I'm well, gonna I'm gonna say she had at least one scene. I believe I believe so, but I mean, to uh, to go from that to the Star Wars universe is is just so cool. Like she's such a fantastic actor, and to um, to see how much dedication she had to the role, like. Back in 2017, I think it was, somebody fan cast her as a live action Ahsoka and right. Ahsoka, and she reposted it like, um, yes, please. And then she tells the behind the scenes story about how somebody from Lucasfilm saw that tweet, forwarded it to Dave Filoni, and he's like, huh, yeah, maybe she could potentially do that. He hit follow on her page and then had the official Star Wars page hit follow right after that. Gosh. And like, and 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 like that—that that was like her introduction to the Star Wars universe was was just the the fan casting and then getting followed by Dave Filoni, like how it started, how it's going. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just—it's it's so crazy to think about because like we do that stuff all the time. Everyone's like, oh yeah, this actor would be great as this character. You know, the big one that we talked about a few weeks ago was like, uh, you know, uh, the guy that was gonna, that could possibly play Ezra. Like, you know, we're all, you know, throwing this out there like, oh, this would be cool, this would be cool, that'd be cool. And you never actually think truly that it's gonna happen. Like, it's all like a pipe dream, like this would never go over. But apparently this did. This was like something that she, you know, she was paying attention to. Filoni was paying attention to it. And it just got out of hand. And it kept going. And we didn't let it go. And they didn't either. And now it's here. And it's just amazing that we've come this far. That, you know, this one of these fan casts that just, hey, we'll just throw it out. What, what if this was a possibility? Okay, it's real now. It's on screen. Mm-hmm. And 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 what an on-screen performance it was too, because we we had like action sequences of Ahsoka just kicking butt. We had moments of of wisdom and clarity as she meditates with the child. Right. And you know the big reveal, as you mentioned earlier, she was responsible for helping us figure out that the child's name is Grogu, and apparently he somehow survived. Uh, Operation Nightfall, which is like a story in and of itself that I would love to figure out because <laughs> exactly. it's been the stuff of memes for the last week. Have you seen some of the memes that have been going oh, around? Oh, I love it. He, he, he's in the Jedi Temple tam- chamber. He's got those blue cookies. He's like, I just went out for snacks. What happened? Oh, oh, there's others that are like the ones reminiscent of the of the like the 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 the. the students that were nice to the the gunman student and the student sends him a text message and he's like I like you you were the only text from Anakin to Grogu saying that I like you Grogu you were always nice to me don't come to the temple tomorrow <laughs> I and I was it. like oh damn that just got dark oh <laughs> like, gosh or like the latest one I think I saw today was uh, Anakin waking up in bed he's like oh did I forget to get Grogu <laughs> <laughs> and I forget yeah. to kill him. Like, well, okay, they forgot to get a lot of people. Like, that's the that's the yeah. other meme that's going around is like Yoda 
saying to Luke, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be? And there's like all these pictures of people like Ezra and Ahsoka and Grogu and, you know, all these other Force-sensitive Cal Kestis. And they're all like, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I posted that meme on the SWU and, of course, it got tons of, like, likes, but also tons of replies, which I didn't read. Um, Oh, yeah. People going, well, actually, you know, Cal Kestis really isn't Jedi and Grogu isn't trained and, uh, (laughs) and, like, uh, come on. I think what's funny is I think in in the interview that happened with Dawson or maybe it was with Filoni, one of the two, um, they were describing Ahsoka's character and said that she seemed to embody the best of the Jedi Order, even if she didn't claim to be a Jedi. Right. Yeah, like th- like that's... Her, her, her care for life, her protection of the innocent, her her dedication to do what's right and and stop chaos and disorder, you know, it, the, the the attacking things by any means necessary, like like getting down to business and doing what must be done. Like her her attitude, her perspective, her mentality are all things that should embody the Jedi Order, and yet she doesn't claim the title of Jedi. It's like she's almost risen above it for, for in some way. Right. And and people were, were expecting her to kind of to to pull out the old, the old line of uh, I'm no Jedi because you know that's right. that's the thing she tells Vader back when in Rebels, and I'm glad I, it seemed like she was kind of not the opposite of that, but she was kind of away from that in the sense that she really was like she was embracing being a Jedi because she walked away from the Order because they were un Jedi like, and right. you know he she's kind of taken up the mantle now and kind of becoming a Jedi again because, well, there's none left, and also, you know, she's more like a Jedi than a lot of Jedi were. Like, so I I love that. Speaking of which, going back to memes again, one of my favorite ones that was circulating this past week was the hypothetical scenario where she meets Luke. Oh, oh, yes. And they're, like, reminiscing about their encounters with Anakin slash Vader. And at the at the end, one of the final panels, he's like, I saw him. I saw Anakin. And Ahsoka just breaks down and cries. Like, he turned. He turned. It's like everybody's belief that there was still good in him was justified in that final moment. And it almost, like, brings vader's redemption to a whole new light that that padme's belief in him was justified that luke's belief in him was justified that ahsoka's belief in him was justified like there's so much more depth to vader slash anakin's redemption now because of the storylines that people like ahsoka have received it's so interesting to see how it all weaves together yeah and you know her whole demeanor in this episode is her whole decision regarding Grogu yeah. and not wanting to train him is that she's scared of creating another Vader, basically. Like, she says it. Like, I've seen what th- can happen to a fully trained Jedi. I'm not going to set this kid down this path knowing what can happen. She is scarred by her experience with Anakin because maybe at this point she doesn't know he was redeemed. Maybe she doesn't know that he came back and he actually you know, turn from that dark path. So 
it's affecting her. And so I'm what I'm curious about is like, you know, what could that happen? Could we see that true canonical reunion between or, or me, first meeting really between Luke and Ahsoka in the Mandalorian or in another spin-off show or something like that because I I'm I'm fully expecting at this point we're, we're going to get Luke Skywalker at some point and we need that reunion. Is we need show? that. I this show maybe. This show maybe. I would say a live action show definitely. Okay, that brings up another point. Based on the conversations and encounters that happened uh, particularly towards the end of this episode. I know we're kind of jumping around in our in our plot devices and plot points, but do you feel like the name drop that Ahsoka gives at the end of this episode is meant to tie into this series, or was that episode meant to be like a backdoor pilot of Ahsoka's own spinoff show? That's what I'm really confused about, because I feel like from a... Com- purely storytelling point of view if you mention Thrawn in this show yeah you need to pay him off you need Thrawn really should show up in the Mandalorian that seems crazy at this point that we're going to we could potentially get Thrawn i never considered that possibility but here we are no. No, so I mean... it's possible and i feel like they should do it because people that just watch the Mandalorian maybe only watch the Mandalorian are going where's this Thrawn guy at what's going on they need to explain it but at the same time, you know, it could just be a one-off reference, and maybe we're going to get that, you know, that Rebel sequel, that, you know, Ahsoka show, whatever they're they're calling it these days, and get something that this is just Ahsoka, because she doesn't come along with Din. You know, she kind of goes off on her own path. We, we don't know if we're going to see her again in The Mandalorian. This could be her only appearance, and her next appearance could be another show or something. Exactly. That's that's exactly my problem. And And... Maybe it's maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's not. I, I feel like we've we have seen evidence now of how successful a Disney Plus original can be. Right. Because didn't Nielsen say that The Mandalorian was one of the top viewed shows in the month of October? It was top. It was the third uh, of uh, a lot, and it had like over a billion views. <laughs> and so it's got that type of potential. It's got that type of momentum to it now but like our friend steven is saying in the chat kind of need moff gideon to do a little bit more in this series so that he can be the primary antagonist he's got the dark saber he's got pieces of the imperial remnant kind of coming together and and doing some things it it would be kind of a disservice to his character to usurp him with thrawn in a season or two when he really hasn't done enough to be considered like a super credible villain, yeah, you know, out, that's, yeah. outside of outside of you know his his big show of force at the end of season one, and uh, the stuff that transpired in chapter fourteen, there really hasn't been a whole lot of substance to Gideon's character to warrant offing him and replacing him with somebody else. That's what makes me feel like Ahsoka kind of needs her own show. Because Mando needs to keep telling his own story, but we really need to see Ahsoka's story. You know, like, there's all this potential for Rebels tie-ins, getting a live-action Sabine, a live-action Ezra, a live-action Thrawn. You know, bringing all of that stuff into the live-action realm is totally doable. But if you do it in this series, 
it no longer becomes about the Mandalorian. Yeah. That's that's the inherent issue with trying to include all of that into this series is the title of the show is The Mandalorian. But what's the point of seeing the adventures of Din Djarin if all you're watching it for is Ahsoka and Thrawn? Very true. Very true. And I, I'm, I'm just thinking aloud here, like, say, for example, and this is a thought that went through my head. What if at the, at the end of the season, it's revealed that Gideon isn't the top guy, that he's working for Thrawn. And that that's the— that, for Thrawn. See, that's a thought that I had as well. Because... But, but you've, already, you've already done that with Gideon. You already set up Werner Herzog as this guy, the big guy, and then, oh, spoiler alert, it's, it's actually Moff Gideon. Really I feel Gideon. like— working for and i yeah. feel like that's you've already used that trick that's the trick you've already used i feel like give him off gideon his due and let him actually right. be the big villain and maybe at some point you know you know maybe he gets a, a saber through the chest or a dark saber through the chest and then thrawn shows up and he's the new big bad but like i think trying to shoehorn thrawn into it when you already have a really strong villain with an incredible actor behind him um i don't think this show needs Thrawn, at least not right now. And, and here's the other interesting component is, you know, Bo-Katan is after the Darksaber. Right. You know, we, we, we saw in, in her episode that she's after Gideon and the Darksaber, and now we see that Ahsoka is after Thrawn and the Seventh Fleet for whatever reason, which the Seventh Fleet is now canon thanks to those HK droids that were seen in Chapter 13. Yeah. I was so hoping for one of them to say meatbag, but it didn't. <laughs> That's but the only only flaw in the entire episode is they didn't say meatbag. Not neither one of them said meatbag, but they were still pretty nifty. And and what was what was funny was I've been watching these episodes with my dad, and he remembered that there were two HK droids, and that Mando had only killed one. And he's like, "Where's the other droid? Where's the other droid?" Oh. Like everything starts settling down, and my dad's like, "Where's the other droid?" And then, like, at that moment where it's coming over the rooftop, he's like, called it! And so <laughs> I'm really enjoying not just the, 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 the exposition that's going on in this series, but the fact that it's accessible enough for a casual viewer like my dad to still be really into what's going on and still be really interested in what's happening next and, and following the plot enough to make commentary like that and feel confident in making that commentary like yeah he's not going to notice the seventh fleet insignia but he's going to notice a plot device like only getting one of the two assassin droids right and i see i think it's great because it it this stuff works on so many levels it does. and it's like so like there's another story that came out this week that that like clone wars and rebels like the the viewership on disney plus like spiked because a ton of people who had never seen either of those shows were now like, oh, what's this Ahsoka character about? Let's go watch Clone Wars now. Like, mm -hmm. a ton of people just last week got introduced to Ahsoka for the first time ever. And that's amazing. And, you know, I think on that level, the show still works. It still works just as, okay, here's Ahsoka Tano. Meet Ahsoka Tano. This is his character. And, you know, it's it's great that... I think this is fan service done right, and I've said this. People people bag on oh fan service, fan service. There's good fan service and there's bad fan service. This is great fan service. This is the kind of fan service that 
is there. It it makes people. I've been watching reactions. People screaming about Ahsoka on YouTube. It happens, and I love it. But also, it's it's for newcomers who maybe don't know who Ahsoka is can can actually learn something too and go, oh, okay, I've just found you know a new character that I didn't know about, and I love her. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and and I think that's the other cool thing about this episode is even if you don't know who Ahsoka is, you can appreciate certain aspects about her, like her her skills with a lightsaber, like her uh, ability to connect with Grogu enough to to get a name from him. Like even if you've never seen Ahsoka, it's really cool that you're finally meeting a Force user, a Jedi who is using those types of powers. This is our first instance outside of what the child has been doing this is our first instance of like a fully trained force user on the show so you know it's it's just all the more so for clone wars fans who you know are are excited to see her back but for people who are just watching the mandalorian they're like oh here's a jedi finally and now the jedi has given us the child's name we now know that the name is grogu like, there's all these other pieces of the puzzle that are coming together, even if you don't know who Ahsoka Tano is. But the fact that you've got the Clone Wars and Rebels available on Disney Plus is just an added bonus. Because, like you said, now there's people going back and wanting to understand the full complexity of this universe. And that is what Star Wars is supposed to do, in my estimation. It, it can be something that you enjoy by itself you can enjoy the original trilogy as it is with no other context but if you grasp the rest of the universe and all that it encompasses and all of the tie-ins and connections and crossovers that transpire then it makes things like i said earlier it makes things like anakin's redemption so much better because yes it's great to watch in return of the jedi by itself but if you've got the context of the prequel trilogy with Padme's belief in him, if you get yeah. the context of the Clone Wars and, and, and Rebels and Ahsoka's belief in him, then all of a sudden things like those those fan-made comics and episodes like this just make it so much better. And yeah, you can call it fan service if you want, but I mean, this is basically the type of storytelling that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been doing for the last 12 years. Right. You, right. you make connections and, and you make references within yourself to the point that you see and recognize a character from from one place and appreciate the nod that they're given in another piece of the universe. It's just the way good storytelling is supposed to work nowadays. It's supposed to be connected. It's supposed to be cohesive. And to ridicule that is asinine, in my opinion. Yeah. Why would you ridicule a cohesive universe? That just blows my mind. I, you know, I, I and then there has been a lot of wringing of hands around this, especially since the Ahsoka episode and, and the Jedi and all this kind of stuff. And people are are worried because they feel like the show is gonna is gonna lose people because it's getting too complicated, it's getting too connected, or whatever. And I hear their concerns. I truly do. But, like, what is the point of having a show that's in a larger universe, that's in a Star Wars universe, and not have it connected to other things and have this character interact with other people? I still think The Mandalorian is doing a great job of keeping the focus on what's going on with these two characters. Din Djarin, Grogu, 
it's their story. Ahsoka is there, but she's there to serve them and and serve their journey. So when it when we have a spin-off episode of The Mandalorian where it's just Ahsoka, you know, maybe I'll agree with you. But I don't think the show is losing its way. I think it's just expanding its horizons and connecting to the bigger universe. And, you know, maybe this Thrawn thing does get picked up on. Maybe it doesn't. I'm sure there's some instances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you'll have one movie franchise, for lack of a better term, you know, a trilogy or whatever, mention something or, you know, tease something, and it doesn't get picked up until, you know, another thing comes along, you know? So, you know, there's there's precedent there to say that Mandalorian is just cementing himself in this universe and, you know, providing, you know, a, a good, solid story for these two characters, but also enhancing the universe, enhancing everything so that, and, and doing so in a way that if you're new to this, you don't know who Ahsoka Tano is or Bo-Katan is or Boba Fett is, you can still enjoy it, but then you go watch those things and go, oh yeah, I know Boba Fett, he's from that He's from that episode of The Mandalorian, oh yeah, I see him as a little kid now, I'm watching Attack of the Clones, like, you know, uh-huh. that can happen. Uh-huh. And it's bound to happen eventually, considering how much Star Wars there is out there, like, nobody's ever gonna be able to watch them in the correct order anymore. Like, <laughs> right. trying, try, like, like, there's even debates right now about how to watch just the films. Never mind things like the Clone Wars or Rebels or the Mandalorian or the holiday specials or whatever else is out there. Like, never mind those things. People are still fighting over how to watch one through nine plus Rogue One and Solo. And those things are most of them are numbered. Like they come with numbers on the package to tell you still fight over it. <laughs> exactly. You're never going to get somebody that like has a perfect grasp on how to consume this universe. And so to feel like you should have control over how people consume this universe and to what degree and, you know, how much consumption should relate to the other consumption of the universe, like Dave Filoni and John Favreau barely have a grip on it. And yet that that small portion of the universe that they have control over right now is just paying off such wonderful dividends for Star Wars fans in general. Oh yeah. Like I, I'm seeing people who have been fans of Star Wars since the seventies saying that this show is making them feel like a kid again. Yeah. And that is the magic that Star Wars is supposed to bring to the table. And to to, to be able to do that in such an effective manner as this weekly show that ranges anywhere from thirty three to forty seven minutes, like being able to lose yourself in a universe for thirty three minutes is just a fantastic feat of storytelling. And it's and it's bridging the gaps and it's connecting everything, not just in a way that always oh, this character and this character, it's 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 not showing favoritism to any specific era of Star Wars. Like we you know, sequel trilogy, you know, mainly focused on the original trilogy, you know, and, and was it was pretty much trying to avoid mentioning the prequels most of the time. Whereas this show is you know, it's 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 using prequel characters, Clone Wars characters, putting them in original trilogy. We're, you know, we're in the sequel era technically, and you know, also giving time to original trilogy characters. Like we got Ahsoka last week. You know, this a huge prequel era character, and now you know we got just a few hours ago 
you know, Boba Fett and, and a, a continuation of his story, a character that's literally been around for almost, for now, literally 40 years because Empire Strikes Back turns 40 this year. So it's it's amazing that this show is not just doing fan service, it's doing fan service for everyone. It's giving everyone what they want in regards to, you know, if you're a Boba Fett fan, hey, here's a younger fan, you and Ahsoka, yeah, here you go. Like, it's doing all this in such a effective way and just making people happy, which is nice to see because it's not been a happy year. But seeing people online lose their minds about seeing their favorite character in The Mandalorian is just so heartwarming. Okay, so I guess that brings up a... (laughs) An interesting piece of conversation, and maybe it'll help segue into our our other discussion in in a bit here. Were you more excited to see Ahsoka or the return of Boba Fett? That's a hard question. I think... I think it's probably Ahsoka. I think just because, like we said, I've grown up with that character truly. I have such an affinity for that character. But I love Boba Fett, too. I've, I've always loved Boba Fett. And seeing him, and basically they're doing what I always wanted them to do, which is, you know, yeah, he survived the Sarlacc, and he's alive, and he's back, like, and he's got his armor. Like, that's, this is like a a dream come true for me that they're doing this. And then having Ahsoka there is also a dream come true, because, like, getting a continuation of her story. And there was a point where, you know... Ahsoka lives. Is she is she alive? Is she not? You know, we always we all thought always oh, she's gonna get killed in Order sixty six, and no, she continues on. It's really a toss up for me, but I think I'm gonna have to go with Ahsoka because just the because we have seen Tim Morrison in live action before. We you can kind of imagine that we've seen Boba Fett. You know, in his story, he's been in the films, whereas Ahsoka is just like this is such a huge deal to see her in live action. And right. see it translated so well. Yeah, the, the 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 translation from animated to live action is a challenging one, and it was it was not without controversy, particularly in the context of Ahsoka's Leku. Right. Let's 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 talk about that for a minute or two here, because there were a few people, including our own Jake Damon, who were who? Not, a, not a fan. Not a fan of the presentation of Ahsoka, particularly in the context of her head tails. Yeah, yeah, I, I got that impression. I, I heard the complaints, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it. I get it. You know, I, I want this to be. I'm I'm a stickler stickler for accuracy. I'm a stickler for for being. You know, trying to get things on point. I get it. It is weird, especially when you consider. The fact that like they're really long in Rebels, and they're really short in 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 Mandalorian, and yeah, it doesn't make sense. But uh, you know, I- I'm willing to let it slide. They they basically said that they just chalked it up to they they needed them to be short so that you know it would be easier for stunts and all that. Um, uh-huh. But and they're gonna try to do them longer in the future, which maybe confirms that she's gonna be back at some point. But uh, you know, I. It's not a huge deal. It's not even something that on the first viewing I even noticed. Um, so that that's that's my litmus test. It's like if if I didn't notice it off the first viewing, if it wasn't like something that bothered me, then it's not a big deal. It's like the people that complain about the 
the the the, the stunts in certain things like oh look at this like if you slow this down I'm like I don't care like you know if if I slow it down and I have to do it then then it's not really a flaw <laughs> yeah I mean I, I I've gone back and forth on this a couple of times because I've I, I like to listen to everybody's arguments and hear everybody's complaints because I have complaints about stuff myself that I would like other people to listen to sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's only fair that if I'm going to complain about something, I need to be willing to listen to somebody else's complaints about something. And to a certain degree, I guess I'm with them that it's, it's just a little weird that in one series, it looks one way. And in another series, it looks another way. But I mean, the, the, the one litmus test to, to use your phrasing that I've been able to use with people is okay then you also need to complain about how Count Dooku's face looks abnormally long in the Clone Wars compared yes. to how he looks in Attack of the Clones right exactly like that's the biggest thing is like it's it's animation it's it's supposed to be you're supposed to kind of suspend your disbelief just a little bit in regards to even though like I've praised like how Ahsoka moves in the Mandalorian. Like she, she yeah. jumps on rooftops like that. Like that stuff that is very easy to achieve in animation, and it does it all the time. Like you know, she can jump you know five stories up to a building, you know, and no problem. But like if you do that in live action, then you have to have a, a stunt person in in a suit and wires and all this kind of stuff. Like it takes a lot, but they committed to it, in Mandalorian. They made it happen, and so I appreciate that. But ultimately, it's about, you know, just making the character believable and getting the voice right, making people, you know, buy into it. And the rest of it is just kind of kind of have to fall into place. And, yeah, if, you know, if it, if it bothers you, that's fair, you know. And, and I think generally there's, all, there's also just been a little bit of pushback about, you know, the general consensus about Rosario Dawson and the fact that a lot of people wanted Ashley Eckstein to do the role. And, you know, obviously, they're recasting. A lot of people aren't buying her as the character. And it's just one of those things. I totally, you know, I feel for anyone who maybe was kind of put off by and not be able to buy into it. Because it's the same thing with, like, you know, Alden Ehrenreich's Han Solo. Like, it's the same concept of you're changing actors. Some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. But uh, I, in both cases, I'm very happy. I have my complaints about Aaron Reich, but that's another conversation for <laughs> another time. Um, I, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit trail. But, don't, okay, here's the thing. Don't here's the thing. On that one. Here's the thing with the Jedi. I think the fact that people have to stoop so low to complain about the length of her leku is a testament to how great the episode was and how people are just yes. having to be nitpicky. Um, again, again, you can have your complaints. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not entitled to your opinion, but the fact that you're having to grasp at that shows that this episode was so good. It really was. And I I have a hard time picking like a favorite sequence from this as well, because like there's big plot developments that happen, like the reveal of the, like the name drop. Like we finally have a name. Yeah. We finally have a name. But, oh my gosh, there were some great action sequences that happened in this episode, too. Like, the the stunts and the choreography were just 
unparalleled. Like, as much as I love the final battle, I'm going to be honest, I think my favorite fight sequence was actually when Ahsoka didn't know who Din was and started going after him. And, and then he puts up his gauntlets and she attacks him and you find out that Beskar can resist lightsabers? Like, come on! Yes! <sighs> oh my god, I lost it! I was like, ah! I just, the best. All of the hype that had been built around Beskar paid off for me in that moment because, yeah, it may be blaster resistant, but guess what? You can also block the attacks of a lightsaber with it. Like, this not only gives context into how precious Beskar is today, but think about how that type of armor could have been used during the Mandalorian Wars centuries ago. Right. If the entire Mandalore company was able to equip themselves with this type of armor, then yes, they would be legitimate opponents to a Jedi because not even a saber strike would be able to bring down these opponents. I, and, then I, and, also, yeah. and then also think about how much of a badass this must make Mace Windu because he knew what type of armor Jango Fett was wearing and still charged at him and got him in the one weak spot, which was the neck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good thing uh, Soka didn't go for the neck on <laughs> This is true. This is true. But... Again, going back to contextualizing everything in the bigger picture, now that we know that this armor is capable of these things, you know, Django didn't even need his blasters, technically. Yeah. He, he could have gotten into a fist fight with Mace in Attack of the Clones, but he didn't. And, you know, things happened the way that they did. But for Mace Windu to recognize Beskar armor and then charge it and go for the one weak spot that there is, like, that shows what kind of a badass mother bleeper he is. <laughs> but it also shows the restraint that Ahsoka exercises by allowing him to deflect her attacks with his Baskar gauntlets. Yeah. Like, like, she was privy to some of the best fighters of the Jedi Order in people like Anakin and Mace Windu. She probably could have easily figured out those weak spots and gone for them, but she chose not to. So I feel like this also shows, again, more of that 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 Jedi restraint, that Jedi-like nature, even though she doesn't call herself that. Like, she exhibits and, and embodies that in just about every interaction that she possesses over the course of this episode. Telling yeah. telling the, the people of the town that they have a deadline, that kind of thing. That reminded me of Qui-Gon Jinn, the, the negotiator that's not afraid of aggressive negotiations. Like, I, I could go on and on about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I love that moment. I love that moment because it, it also harkened back to Luke, I think. Because, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's a... I think it's a thing where, like... I don't want to. I don't want to kill you. I I am perfectly happy, and I, I really do not want to come in there and wreck your house and kill you. But I'll I'll do it. But I'm going to give you a chance to make the right decision. Luke does right. it in Jabba's palace. He goes like, yep. "I'm I'm taking my friends, and either you're going to let me do it or you're going to die." Simple as that. He gives him a choice, and Jabba chooses wrong. He dies for it. Like it's the same thing. I love that. It's it's the ultimate like. 
Jedi have the ultimate power. They have the power to just go in there and wreck house and do everything, but they still give their enemies that the the courtesy of going, look, walk away right now, no big deal. You know, but if you push me, you're gonna pay. Yeah. And and they did. <laughs> <laughs> big time. Big time. Well and it was it was interesting because even with the the, the bribe of the Beskar spear Mando still chose to side with the Jedi, which goes against how the the Mandalorians would have behaved, considering you know the Jedi were were enemies of theirs for so long. It was it was completely unexpected by culture, and yet also completely expected by people watching the show. Right. Like you know, you know that he's not going to actually try to kill the one contact that could train his foundling but you also know that it would take a lot from him to get up the gumption to to do something like forge an alliance with a jedi so again the 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 character dynamic was really really fun to explore in this one because you you know what needs to happen but it takes a while to let it unfold and figure out exactly how it happens if that makes sense yeah, and just another another example of Jedi and Mandalorians working together. You yeah. know, the the magistrate says, "Oh, you're the the Mandalore and Jedi. They're they're ancient enemies." That doesn't seem so anymore. You know, it seems like we're making progress. You know, Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, they were buddies in Clone Wars um, before before after trying to kill each other. But you know, that's that's all in the past. And then you know, you have Sabine and Ezra and all those guys and Rebels like. You know they're making progress in the sense that now you have this thing that they can basically use it against them. And Din says well, it best, hey, like you know, a Mandalorian, a Jedi, they'll never see it coming. Here's the thing: even though they were enemies at one point, these two cultures are not too dissimilar. No, you know they're they are very family driven. They can be nomadic at times, and they have. A, a higher calling that is driven by a sense of honor and purpose. Like, in in, a, in many, many fashions, Mandos and Jedi are not all that different. It, it, it has to do mostly with their abilities and how they execute that. You know, obviously, the, the Jedi are more in tune with the Force, and Mandalorians are a little more self-sufficient. But, I mean, in most respects, there are more similarities than differences. And so to, to see them working together is, like you said, it, it, it seems more and more commonplace and just also seems more and more plausible. Like, this is something that we should be expecting from these two types of people. And to, to see it happen and to see it unfold the way that it did, they worked really well as a team, and he made sure to keep the child safe. Like, Grogu was nowhere near the fighting, no. you know? And, and yet the fighting didn't distract us from all of that. Like... We're watching all of it unfold. We're, we're watching these different fights and, and these protections of the citizens and, you know, seeing things that honestly reminded me of Firefly a little bit. Like the whole yeah. planet, whole planet reminded oh, me. Oh, yeah. That, that whole Corvus looked like a planet that uh, the Serenity would just land on. Yeah. Like that, that's totally. Well, and those those torture chambers right outside of the magistrate's yeah. main gate. Yeah, yeah. Reminded me of like the little cages in Jane's town. 
the little, little isolation yeah. cages from from Firefly. Yeah, it totally looked like that. And so, you know, it, there there were a lot of things transpiring, but at the same time, we're also going, huh? Where's the kid right now? I and, I had convinced myself in that moment. As soon as I thought about it, my my heart stopped. That Moff getting it showed up and stolen the Razor Crest while they were in there. Oh man! And he was going to go back to an empty ship or something. That would have been, or just no ship. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, which is uh, (laughs) spoiler alert. (laughs) Shadowing. Um, real quick before before we before we close this out and go to the next episode or go to the next thing we're going to talk about. Um, real quick, I just want to go back to. We were talking about with the similarities of the Mandalorians and the Jedi. The fact is, the biggest similarity they have right now, the biggest thing they share in common is the fact that they're both an endangered species now. Both Mandalorians and Jedi were both basically wiped out by the Empire. And they essentially need each other now. They need to support each other in order to survive, especially with the Empire back and hunting them, you know, it's... it's This it's, is where you get the phrase, The Empire Strikes Back. Here you go. That, that's a really great title. I think they should use that for a Mandalorian episode. The Empire Strikes Back. Has a good I ring mean, to it. It's never been used before, I don't think, so no, I, no. I think that would be appropriate. <laughs> great, great, great. But, uh, yeah, I, I just... I'm looking forward to seeing, like, the relationship between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. That's something that's been around for a long time, but it's especially pivotal in this era. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree to that. Which is what makes me think we haven't seen the last of us. So I would, yeah, I would say absolutely. I would, and I, I was talking to our buddy Sean the other day by a text message, and and you know we were kind of you know going over like you know why why did they you know cast Rosaria Dawson or you know what what does this mean that they've cast her? And obviously we know why, but I my opinion on like her being cast is an indication that they're going to revisit this character, that they've cast someone like Rosario Dawson. That's a testament to, okay, Rosario has probably signed a multi-deal contract, and she's going to be in probably multiple seasons of Mandalorian and multiple other seasons, maybe even a movie if they want her to. You know, they're going to leave all the doors open, and we're absolutely going to see her back as Ahsoka at some point. Bro, what if she shows up in the Kenobi series? I mean... There's all this talk about, you know, flashbacks. It could happen. It could happen. And also, she's alive during Kenobi. So, like, exactly. so it doesn't have to be a flashback. No, it does not. It does not have to be a flashback. She could show up in the Kenobi miniseries, which is set to start filming in just a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Or supposedly. next month. Supposedly next month. I don't know. How I don't know how reliable the rumors are, but apparently they're going to be like start of next year. We're going to be seeing some, and apparently the Cassian show is filming right now. So stuff's happening I didn't even know about. So this is kind of in uh, the right timeline because if they were able to get her to record stuff for season two, then the contract would probably extend for like a time period as well. And the timeline is right that when they start filming the Kenobi series, she could potentially show up in something like that. It's possible. So, I'm just I'm just saying. Um, one last thought that I want to put out there that uh, somebody noted to their audience on Twitter. I forget who it was, 
Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first female versus female duel in the Star Wars canon between the uh, and Ahsoka Tano. At the at the very least on screen, we have never had a woman fight another woman in a Star Wars production. The name. There may be something. Okay, okay. So here's here's the thing. Here's a caveat. Here. It has to be live action because I know there's probably at least one, if not several, in Clone Wars. I know Ahsoka and Bo-Katan went at it at least once. So that's a, a you know a, a girl fight. Um, so that was the official first or one of the first. But as far as in live action with two actresses, like this is the first time this has ever happened, and it's crazy. It's just another piece of groundbreaking material that happens on this show, and it continued to break down even more ground in Chapter 14, but we'll get to that in a second. We are talking about both the Jedi and the tragedy in tonight's episode, but uh, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves just yet. Let's, let's just do some overall thoughts and try to come up with... A, a, a planet score of, of some kind. I know that we're going to do like an end of the season recap that'll talk about how we feel about the whole season, but I mean, the debut of Ahsoka kind of warrants its own discussion and, it, and its right. own score. So how would you look at the Jedi just by itself? How would you look at the Jedi and how it fits into the universe, how it fits into this season, how it fits into this show? What Based on all of that, what kind of a score would you give it? I am going to give it a 10 out of 10. Honestly, there's not much, if anything, that I have to complain about this episode. It is firing on all cylinders. is one of the best of the entire series, and certainly one of the best Star Wars things to ever exist, in my humble opinion. And just, you know, it, it just goes out on so many limbs. And the writing, the music, the cinematography, the special effects, the acting, it's all there. And on top of that, you have a great storytelling. You have, you know, great just, you know, handling of the characters and, and serving Din and, and Grogu's thing. And we, you know, giving more backstory on them, but also you know, giving us these amazing characters and giving us this incredible fan service, which is, you know, Ahsoka Tano and finally in live action. So, insanely good episode. Insanely good. And, uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 for me. Oh, man, you make some really excellent cases. I was ready to give it a particular... No score. pressure. No pressure. No, I don't, know. Don't, don't, don't feel... That, look, I am a pushover. I'll be like, just 10 out of 10. I'll give a 10 out of 10. My 10 out of 10s mean nothing anymore because I give them everywhere I can. But, uh, you know, you do you. I, oh, man, I do that all the time anyways. But, <laughs> but I, I have a hard time disagreeing with anything you just said, which is why I'm sitting here going... Why did I want to give it the score that I gave it? Because, seriously, out of everything that we've seen so far, this is probably my favorite episode of the series. I mean, like, there was there was a lot of really good stuff that happened in the, in the season finale in season one. But, I mean, as far as the connectivity to the rest of the universe, particularly one of my favorite things like the Clone Wars... The way that it was handled and, and written and directed by Dave Filoni, the guy who brought Ahsoka into being, like, there were just so many great things that tied into the rest of the universe that 
are are helping set the stage like we're seeing evidence in in chapter 14 we're seeing evidence that that it is kind of setting the stage for so much more based on what we see in this episode i i am inclined to agree with you like even this episode is like 47 minutes long compared to like the half hour things right. we've been getting like usually like this is an even longer episode than we usually get and yet it didn't feel any longer because we were enjoying everything that we got plus the Admiral Thrawn name drop that was completely unexpected <laughs> like I was not expecting the Seventh Fleet to play a factor in this show in any capacity and to throw that in there in the end of the episode, I know that that is not a throwaway line. I know that that is going to lead to something, and I can't freaking wait to see what that's going to be. And I hope to God that it's Lars Mikkelsen that actually gets to play the role that he voiced in Rebels. He's definitely got the physique for it. Yeah, uh, I, I can't. The cheekbones. I I can't picture anybody else. I saw a lot of fan casting online, and you know, depending on how old he is, I think Lars Mikkelsen could still play him. But if he is supposed to be a much older Grand Admiral, then I would want Charles Dance. But that's that's kind of an outlier type thing. If he's supposed to be kind of middle aged, kind of older middle aged, like we see in Rebels than Lars Mikkelsen all the way. If he's meant to be much older, then maybe Charles Dance. But, like, jeez, man, to see him in live action would just be a a geek-gasm unlike anything I've ever had. Just because I, I learned to love reading from Star Wars Expanded Universe novels. Uh You know what I mean? And... And to have a name drop like Thrawn and give me the hope that we could see a live action version of him. He's come such a long way from the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's come such a long way. And to even think about the potential of that kind of payoff is so exciting. So. Ugh! <laughs> Hey, here's my problem. These 47 minutes are not enough. I still want more. <laughs> Give. I still want. So that's your complaint. That's that's the point you're taking off. Is wasn't long enough. That's the half point I'm taking off. It wasn't. It <laughs> <still> wasn't <laughs> long enough. I wanted more, and so this is this is going to be a 9.5 for me because that's fair. I, that's I, fair. I, I wanted. More, give me more. I like. I, Just I wanted, put up that Kylo Ren Jeff. More, I, more. I wanted even more of it. Yes. Uh, our friend Steven gives it a seven point seven five. I'm glad that we don't have him on this episode. I would give him a new one for giving it anything below a nine. But uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. <laughs> and where we're at is uh, we're going we're to be doing things a little bit different than we usually do here on the show. We're going to go ahead and take our ad break now, say hello to our friends and patrons and all that sort of thing. And then uh, we'll, we'll come back with some even more fun and uh, we'll discuss Chapter 14 on the flip side of the break as well. So don't go away. We'll be back with more fun. 
discussing The Mandalorian when the IPC podcast continues. This is IPC. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all. This is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? We are back continuing our discussion of The Mandalorian. A lot of really interesting developments happening in these most two recent episodes leading up to these final two episodes having potentially some of the biggest payoffs we've ever seen in the Star Wars universe, which is saying a lot considering we just had an entire trilogy of movies over the last five years. Um, Some of the stuff that's going to be happening in these next few episodes are going to be huge. And uh, we'll get all to that in just a second. But before we do... Uh, some thank yous and shout outs to people who financially contribute to the show. People like Joey Mays, Ryan H1152, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Carrie Fleming. We appreciate all that you guys do for us and gals. 
We appreciate all that you do for us. And if you're interested in financially contributing to the program, you can become a patron as well at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. We're actually looking at starting a Patreon instead because the, the patron site just really hasn't done what we were hoping for it to do. So um, if you are a current contributor, we'll be reaching out to you personally to uh, try and negotiate that. Um, but we're, we're looking at launching a Patreon in 2021 just so that it can be a little more accessible and hopefully introduce some new tiers and activities that we can do on the show. So uh, be on the lookout for that come the new year. Hopefully we'll have a new, more immersive way for you guys to uh, help contribute to what we do here on the show. But we appreciate mm-hmm. everybody that uh, helps make this show possible. We could not do what we do without you. Absolutely. Okay, so Ben, I have heard from previous listeners and and people who like to tune into this show that uh, usually when we get to our final segment of the evening, that's when they stop listening to the show. How dare they? And I'm just thinking, you know, this is a crucial piece of who IPC is. I thought it was everyone's favorite segment. It's what is this nonsense? It's definitely my favorite segment. And when we were getting ready to talk about the show, we were like, we really need to dedicate a good portion of time to this segment because there's just a lot to talk about. You've got a review to give. I've got a review to give. So we're going to do this review of this segment before we do our review of Chapter 14, The Tragedy. That's right. It's happening early. Get out those hashtags, folks. Steven, you're the only one in the chat that's actually chatting right now. So put it in the chat on channel1138.com. If you're listening on social media, go ahead and start using it on places like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We've got social media pages on all of those places. You can also use hashtags on places like Pinterest. So put them wherever a hashtag can be placed because it's time for a really, really awesome edition of hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue! Barbecue. Barbecue. Barbecue! Barbecue! Alright, as I mentioned, this barbecue segment is going to be awesome because when we were doing the show notes you're like okay i've got a really cool review to give and i'm sitting here going i haven't been on in two weeks and i got stuff that i need to talk about that i've just discovered here in my neck of the woods so uh i don't know how long this segment's going to be so you got to listen to all of it if you want to hear us talk about chapter 14 ha (laughs) ben why don't you lead off with your uh you, you said you had a review of a place that you went to recently is that right Yes, so uh, over the Thanksgiving holidays, I went on vacation. And I know you're saying, well, there's stuff going on in the world. Maybe that's not a good idea. And you would be right, but it's my family, and I was outvoted. So we went on vacation, and we went to a theme park, which is sounds like a double not a good idea during a pandemic. Again, you would be right. 
I'm not recommending this. I am definitely saying you shouldn't do what I did. But I did it, and it was pretty darn awesome, so I want to share my experience. So we went up to Missouri for Thanksgiving. Didn't have any family up there, just decided just to get away. And in Missouri, in southern Missouri, there is this theme park called Silver Dollar City. Have you ever heard of this place? I think I have heard of it, which is surprising because most small-town type of uh, amusement parks I really haven't heard of. But that one sounds familiar. I I think they've probably done some videos from Theme Park Review on Silver Dollar City before. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. I think it's a -a one-of-a-kind park. It's not a big chain. It is owned by Dollywood, which is a big thing out of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is owned by Dolly Parton. So it's 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 got a got a lot of money and a lot of backing behind it. It's a pretty big deal and it's a pretty good sized park and it's it's a very, very nice park. And if you're going to go to a theme park during a pandemic, this is probably the one to go to because they were checking everyone's temperature, they made sure everyone wasn't wearing a mask, you, you felt very safe. So props to Silver Dollar City for, for, for making us all very, very safe when we went. And they were limiting people coming into the park and all this kind of stuff. So basically, what I'm leading up to is that we spent the day at Silver Dollar City. And it was a lot of fun. It was very cold because it's Thanksgiving weekend. But it was a lot of fun. And, of course, gets later in the day. You want to find something to eat. And, and theme park food isn't always great, admittedly. Because you're not there for the food, generally. You're just there to survive. And you just get whatever's there if you don't bring your own snacks with you. So, and there was a lot of places that didn't even have, like, seating indoors, which is what we wanted because it was very cold outside. And, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, they were limited, limited seating and all this kind of stuff. So we did find a place that had a seating. And it's this place called Rivertown. I think it's Rivertown Smokehouse. And it's in the middle of Silver Dollar City, and it's a barbecue place. And they had – it's like a – kind of like a – I want to say like Piccadilly, kind of like a cafeteria-style thing. You go in, and it's all kind of – you go down the line. You pick out what you want. They have sandwiches. They have meats. They have all this kind of stuff. They have a meat platter. You can pick like three meats. And they had ribs. They had chicken. The works, you know, and they even had salads, stuff like that. So general barbecue stuff, and it was all really, really good. The thing that stood out to me was a sandwich that I got. And I have never, as many pork sandwiches as I've had before in my life, I have never had a barbecue sandwich like this before. It's called Triple Pork Sandwich. This thing just is loaded up with stuff. Three different porks, triple pork. So your first pork is pulled pork. Okay. Second pork is candied, thick-cut bacon. Okay. The third pork is giant links of pork sausage. Two big links on your sandwich. Like whole circular links, not like sliced down the middle or something. Yeah, it's like the whole links. Put on this sandwich. And then with it, I got the, what, what do they call it? Uh, God, I can't remember the name. It was really good sauce. I love the sauce because it was sweet heat. Oh. And, oh, it was good. It was really good. And this was a good sandwich. They already had them prepackaged there. You know, they weren't making them fresh. They were just kind of, you know, 
You just grab it off the line and they give it to you. But I just, it was so fascinating. And it came with, I think there's cheese on it too. And just, it's huge. I've never had a sandwich with those ingredients on it. What was what was the layering like? What was on the bottom bun all the way leading up to the top? Well, I think it's bun, uh, pork, and then you have the bacon. And then on top of that, the bacon may have been on the bottom. Don't quote me on that. But you, and then you had the sausage on top, you and then take a bun. picture. I should have. It was dark, and it was that. And I'd, my hands were dirty. All right, give me a break. I document all my food. I'm about to send you pictures of the food I had two weeks ago. I know. I am a. I am a bad barbecue watcher. Mm. Well, at least the people on social media will get to see my barbecue watch. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Dude, well, at least I gave a detailed description of it. And I'm picturing all of it, and my mouth is watering now because I love bacon, and I, I, I'm growing to love pulled pork, maybe not as much as you do, perhaps. But, I mean, bacon goes well on everything. Mm-hmm. And to, to have, like, a pork trifecta, I mean, I'm super glad that I'm not Jewish. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> same, same. And so that's the only Jew joke I will ever make, I swear. But, like, that sounds like an amazing sandwich. And you said you were in Missouri, right? Missouri. Missouri's not really known for barbecue outside of, like, Kansas City, I suppose. But even right. then, it's like Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. Like, it's, it's like, right on the border there. It's on both sides of the, of the state line, apparently. Um, I, I guess I really never thought of, like, Missouri barbecue before, but... That type of experimentation makes me wonder why it hasn't spread like wildfire because that is something I would definitely consume. Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah it's amazing that I haven't like heard of anything like this or seen anything like it. You know, I don't know if this is a Missouri thing or just something they thought up. You know, obviously it's a pretty big company. Um, so I don't know. But uh, you know, I've had I've had double digger sandwiches with like chicken and pork. We've talked about that before, but like nothing like this. Well, you need to come back to Texas sometime so that we can go over to that place called Jambos and get ourselves a Jambo Texan sandwich. Yeah, because I've shown you pictures of that one, haven't I? I think so. I think so. That thing, I swear, has to be at least ten inches tall. <laughs> Because they just stack, like, brisket on top of links, on top of turkey, on top of brisket. Like, it's, it's just layer, 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 and then, like, Texas toast on either end of it with, like, a giant skewer going through everything to hold it in place. Wow, that's like, amazing. It is a giant, giant sandwich. J-A-M-B-O, Jambo Texan Sandwich. If you look that up on Google Images, you will find it instantly and it is amazing oh my gosh but that's not what i am here to talk about tonight i am here to potentially blow your ever-loving barbecue mind oh are you ready to have your mind blown good sir i'm i'm always ready okay so um about a year ago there was a dude who worked in advertising who opened up a food truck on a whim just as a pastime when he wasn't doing marketing stuff and the food truck had a lot of 
success to the point that he made enough money off of the food truck to purchase an actual physical restaurant location. Wow. And for the last year or so, it has been growing and building in popularity. I am now part of a Facebook group called North Texas Barbecue Lovers and Addicts. And there's like thousands of people on this page. I forget how many exactly, but I want to say it's over 10,000. There's a seven involved. It's either 17,000 or 70,000. I forget. But it is a huge number of people. And any time an out-of-towner comes to the group and asks, where do I need to go when I visit North Texas? Almost all the time, somebody's top five includes this place in my hometown called Hurtado Barbecue. Hurtado is the last name of the guy who, who founded it. Hurtado Barbecue is like an upscale, middle upscale barbecue establishment with a fusion of Mexican food. They wow. have things like street corn, elotes, if you're from the border. They've got like barbecueified street corn. And uh, I think they've got like brisket tacos and maybe a couple of other things that are like in the vein of Hispanic food, but then also a lot of really creative barbecue food and sides. If you wanted to try a little bit of everything, I would recommend getting there at 11 a.m. when they open because they run out of stuff by two o'clock. Oh, wow. My friend and I finished work early my coworker and I finished work early and made it to Hurtado by about 2 or 2.30 one day. And by that point, they were already out of sausage and turkey. Wow. Which is a shame because they have a sampler platter called the El Jefe that gives <laughs> you – it gives you two family-sized sides in addition to – Brisket, turkey, ribs, sausage, and pulled pork. Wow. All of that on one plate for $35. Dang. It's supposed, wow. It's, a, it's supposed to feed two people, and boy, did it. It, it fed the both of us and then some. The problem Damn. was they were out of some things, so they replaced it with some other stuff like they had plenty of ribs still so they gave us like a double portion of ribs they were good but they weren't as good as your family's okay all I, right i still i still swear by your family's ribs at, at over at rob's they are the best ribs i've ever had in my life and that is still true but those ribs were like top three ribs they were pretty good and the brisket was so soft it was falling off of my fork before it even reached my mouth that's a great sign. It was an amazing sign. And they had these things that they called brisket beans. That was one of the sides. It was like baked beans with actual diced brisket chunks in the bean sauce. Wow. And then they had hatch green chili mac and cheese. It was like a baked mac and cheese with uh, green peppers intermingled in it for a little bit of a kick. Wow. But. 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 The thing that changed my life at this particular establishment literally changed my life and changed my perspective on food as I know it 
was this invention of this Mr. Hurtado. Nobody else in the country has it. He created it and inspired it, and now other places are ripping him off because of how popular this food item has become. Whoa. It's called the Texas Twinkie. Oh, my gosh. And it is not an actual Twinkie. <laughs> it is not like you take a Twinkie and you deep fry it. No, sir. If you want that, you can go to the state fair. This is unlike anything you've ever had. This is a two and a half inch long jalapeno pepper that has been gutted. There's the seeds are gone. But in the place of the seeds and the inner lining, you have a bed of pimento and sharp cheddar cheese mixed together with in-house diced brisket. Oh my God. In, and then this whole thing, the pepper, the pimento cheese, the brisket is then wrapped and I mean wrapped in maple smoked bacon <laughs> oh my god and when you take a bite of it you literally get a taste of every single thing that I just described wow you That's get, you a get, masterpiece. You get bacon. You get cheese. You get pepper. You get brisket. Everything is included in this one bite. And it's big enough that it will service you for about three bites. And this Texas Twinkie, you can get all the cart for $4. Seems, seems a little steep, but considering all of the ingredients that get thrown into this thing, it is worth every penny. I gave um, one to my dad at one point that same day. Like, I called him right after I ate it, and I was like, where are you? And I had him come over to my house after he was done with work. And I popped that thing in the toaster oven for a couple of minutes, and I let him try it. And he's like, you only got me one? <laughs> like he wanted more and I told one of my supervisors at work about it and now he sets his clock by when Hurtado opens so oh that he can gosh. be there to get himself a Texas Twinkie before they run out you started something here I'm telling you dude I, I, I sent you a picture of like the plate that I'm, we got I'm looking at it I'm looking at it it looks incredible they included a couple of Texas Twinkies for us because they were out of turkey. So we've got Texas Twinkies on that plate. The pulled pork is in the top left corner. The brisket's right down the middle. The ribs are on the right-hand side. And then you've got the, the, the brisket beans and the hatched chili mac and cheese with a couple of Mexican Coca-Colas made with real cane sugar to wash it down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude, I'm telling you. That was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life, and it was thanks largely in part to the Texas Twinkie. That's incredible. Like Just it, looking at it, I'm like, whoa, yeah, this take, is... Take, take the picture and zoom in, dude. You can see, like, the cheese and the brisket and the bacon and, like, everything about it is just so divine. That's crazy. That is absolutely insane. Well, so. thank you for sharing that because that's – and you brought photo evidence, which is even better. 
I brought photo evidence, and I'm going to share it. I think I did share it in the Peacekeeper Corps, but I may share it on our Twitter page as well because this is just – it's too glorious to not share with the world. And the next time anybody from IPC listenerhood is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, hit me up, and we will go to Hurtado and get some Texas Twinkies. <laughs> Cannot wait. I want the rest of the world – to experience what I have experienced, starting with you guys. I'm not sure the rest of the world is prepared for it yet. They're going to have to wait and see. They're going to have to Welcome. Welcome to a new plane of existence, folks. I'm telling you. Whew. My goodness. All right. Well, we got one more episode to discuss tonight. Do we really? We got, do we, we got do we one more. To? Do we have to? I mean, I mean, we could skip it. I mean, it's no big deal. It's not like, you know, Boba Fett came back from the dead and took his armor and beat up and, and killed a bunch of stormtroopers and Fennec Shan came back and, and the baby got captured and Moff Gideon pulled out his darksaber and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's exactly what happened. You just spoiled the whole damn episode. Thanks. And the Razor Crest got destroyed! <laughs> oh, yep, there's the final spoiler. Okay, well... Well, guess, you know, you did tell people off the top of the show to not listen to this if they haven't seen the episode, so it's their fault! I did I did give that spoiler alert, but I was hoping that we could, like, progressively go through those different plot points and, like, you know, be all excited about it. But no, we're just going to label them all off right off the top of the discussion. And then go oh, yeah, because we can only mention it once per episode. <laughs> Well, uh, what was the biggest shocker for you? This is a lot of shocks in this episode. The, the, the crest was definitely the biggest shock for me. Yeah. I, I I was not expecting them to completely decimate it the way that they did. I was like, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait a second. Like, it was damaged. It was badly damaged against the, 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 the cave spiders. Right. And I was like, oh, man, but at least it's repairable. But, like, no. That is just disintegrated. It's gone. It's like they know that the audience will assume if there's some of it left that they'll just repair it. Right. It's been torn up so many times. Now they're just like, nah, we're just going to disintegrate this stupid the thing. The only salvageable thing from it was the Beskar Spear, which I feel like is going to come into play with Moff Gideon and the Darksaber in the next mm-hmm. couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really excited about that because we now have evidence that Beskar can deflect lightsaber attacks. So that Beskar spear is going to come in handy when it comes to fighting Moff Gideon. And here's the part that I'm really excited about. And only Game of Thrones fans will get this. I but know where you're going with this. Pedro Pascal has experience in spear fighting. He did his own stunts when Oberyn Martell fought against the mountain in Game of Thrones. And that fight scene was probably one of the best 1v1 battles in all of cinema. It was amazing. It was breathtaking. And to think that we will get Pedro doing that again... At some point in this show, particularly in like these last two episodes, the prospect of that makes me weep with fanboy joy. <laughs> yeah, I am so glad that it was salvaged, and I'm so glad that it can continue to be a, a focal point. I'm also kind of excited that we get to see an increased use of Slave One. 
I, I'm telling you. I was not expecting it to have such a, a prominent role as it did in this episode. And now that the crest is gone, it's basically the new gang ship. Like, this is where people are going to hang out. This is the transport we're going to be using to go to battle in these next couple of episodes. Like, it's not just going to make an appearance. It's going to be prominently displayed. And that excites me. I just seeing Slave 1 in this episode, just seeing it fly in was just like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Just like, oh my god, this is... Slave Lun, like, you know, seeing Boba Fett was enough, but, like, seeing him fly around that ship, and then they get in the Slave Lun, and they go to, they go to Navarro, and, you know, they're teaming up, and, you know, Boba Fett is, is not the villain, he's not the bad guy in this, as a lot of people speculated, like, he's, he's, like, this honorable guy who's like, hey, we made a deal, we're gonna help you get this kid back, like, that's... So just mind blowing. What's so funny is he he promised the safety of the child out of a threat almost because he had Fennec pointing the blaster at him. Like that was that was more of a threat. It's like you help me with this and I will make sure that the kid stays safe. But you know, he still held true to his promise even after the negotiations had completed. You know right. what I mean? Like, he he contextualized and interpreted his own words in a certain way that he would be honor-bound to continue assisting Mando. And, and you know, we've seen stuff like this before, especially in Mando, when, like, Din Djarin walks in a situation and everyone wants to kill him and take his armor. Like, right. Boba Fett's not like that. Like, and, and he could easily go like, okay, screw you, dude. Like, you know, we're, we're going to leave. We're going to leave. I got a ship. I'm going to leave you here. And, you know, I don't care about your kid. Like, he goes out of his way to say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to help you out. You, you, you salvaged my father's armor, and I appreciate that, so I'm going to do something for you. And, you know, you know, pulling on that technicality, you would expect for Din Djarin to go like, hey, man, you said you'd help me out. You'd, you'd, I'm going to hold you to this thing you said a few minutes ago, but it's Boba Fett that does it, and that's just great. Right. He holds himself to that standard, which I wasn't really expecting. I was, I was expecting it to be more, to be more neutral. Is like, I got my armor. Peace, bitches. But <laughs> no, he, he, he held himself to that higher standard. And 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 like Steven says in in the in the chat, he says what I love was seeing how Boba Fett was still honor bound at the end. That's the Boba Fett I prefer. Same dude. Like, like we saw a certain aspect of Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back, and we got a little bit of of backstory in stuff like the Clone Wars. But honestly, it's so exciting to see and hear Tim Morrison back in the saddle like i i'm so glad that things have come full circle enough that he got to play django 18 years ago yeah and now he's at a spot in his life and in his career where he can play an older boba fett at a different point in the universe same actor different roles and yet also still weirdly kind of the same like yeah it's it's so fantastic i loved i loved who he was in aquaman playing aquaman's dad like he did a great job in that movie 
I praised him a lot in our Aquaman review a couple of years ago. And now to, to see him back in the Star Wars universe, it was so fun and it totally did not disappoint. His choreography, his fighting style, like Tim Morrison never lost it. And to, to see all of it on display in this episode was mind blowing. It really is. And to think about the fact that like Tim Morrison has voiced Boba Fett and a lot of stuff, but he's never actually played him. Right. Like the, in the like a physical stuff, right? role. Right. Like he did. He did uh, video games. I know he did. I mean, he did voiceover for Empire Strikes Back and, and kind of retcon that all to be, you know, Tim Morrison. So like, you know, it's. It's always he's always been there as kind of a presence, but he's never actually got to be on screen and say, "Hey, I'm Boba Fett, and I'm here to kick some ass." And Boba Fett kicks more ass in this episode than he ever has ever. Well, and the cool thing is, we see sequences of him doing it without the armor and with the armor. Yes, like it. It was. It was so interesting to see that it's not the armor that maketh the man, you know? Yeah. Like, regardless of, of who's got the armor on, Boba Fett as a person is a CBA, certified badass. And to to examine his two different fighting styles was also really interesting because uh, when when he's without the armor, he's got, like, this this deadly version of the type of fighting style we saw in Rogue One with Chirrut Imwe. You're right, I didn't even think about that. Like, like Chirrut uses a lot of those uh, those stick-like blows to the head and knocking people off their center of gravity and tapping them on the shoulder to create a distraction and get their attention. Like, Boba uses a lot of that type of fighting style, except his blows to the head will crack open the helmets of a stormtrooper. Seriously. Like, th- those those stormtroopers were freaking dead. They weren't like, stunned. Like the, he the, stabbed them. The, yeah, he stabbed several of them. That's another part of that that lethal force, up, as opposed to what Chirrut does. But some of those blows to the head reminded me of, like, certain cartoons or whatever where you punch somebody in the face and in slow motion you see some of the, the spit and their teeth go flying and stuff like that. Those, those white chunks coming off of the helmet, those were like shards of the helmet that went flying on impact, but it almost felt like teeth were flying because of how hard they were hit. Yeah, it's it's just like, those poor stormtroopers. I actually felt sorry for them. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, when, when the second transport landed, I was like, yes, fresh meat. More, give me more. Oh, ac- so Actually, actually, I take that back. The first time I watched it, I've watched it twice now already. The first time I watched it, I actually thought that that transport was bringing in the dark troopers. I thought I did that, too. I thought that the second transport would cause the would, would be the disembarking of the dark troopers. I was disappointed that that's not what happened, but I was still glad to see them make an appearance, even if it was for all of like thirty three seconds. But yeah, uh, I thought Moff Gideon was just going to show up and with the dark saber and start kicking ass. No, no, it was. It's too soon for Gideon to be kicking ass. He's still 
lurking in the shadows. And he's going to have to step into the light in these last two episodes. But I had a feeling that he was going to play it at arm's length because that's just to me, that seems like the kind of person he is. He sends in other people. He's got contacts that are tracking the Razor Crest. He's got, you know, people like Werner Herzog's character who was trying to get in touch with the child first. Like, he delegates a lot more than he does stuff by himself. And uh, I think that's what's going to make these last couple episodes interesting is he's not going to be able to delegate his way out of this one. He's going to have to face it himself, and he's going to have to come out the victor if he wants his plan to succeed. So it's 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 interesting to see. I, I'm... I'm really, really curious to see if he really is reporting to somebody else because the whole idea of doing a uh, like a like a blood transfusion so that somebody could become force sensitive through the transfusion of midichlorians, I don't think, in my personal opinion, I don't feel like that is something that Gideon himself would do, but going back to our discussion of the previous episode, that does sound like something that a certain blue chiss might be crazy enough to do. Oh, that's interesting. I don't feel like Gideon has the cojones to do something like that, but considering Thrawn's fascination with knowing and understanding and outthinking and outmaneuvering his opponents... I feel like if there was ever somebody in the Imperial Remnant that would actually want to try and emulate the Jedi to the point of a midichlorian transfusion, that type of two, three, four steps ahead type of thinking is something that is definitely in Thrawn's wheelhouse. That's interesting. And, and Thrawn's whole thing is that like he's so analytical, but the Force is the one thing that he can't wrap his mind around. Exactly, and so by and... the recipient of that transfusion, he has a better chance to study and understand something that he doesn't have a good grasp on. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I think that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Just I'm I'm curious because like I'm just curious like how much of a how how good of a fighter Moff Gideon is because like. Right. You know, you, you you like generally speaking, because like you you could say that oh maybe he wants the force so that he can wield the dark saber better, but like everyone that's wielded the dark saber before him also did not have the force. Exactly. Like Previsla didn't, but he was a darn good fighter, even though he lost his right. head. And, you know, Sabine Wren, Bo-Katan, like all of them, like were not Jedi. That's the point. It's a Mandalorian weapon. It's not made for force users. You know, even though it was made by a the first Mandalorian Jedi. It still is not. That's not demanded of it that you need the force. It's just you need to be the strongest person, and clearly Moffat Gideon is at the moment. Right. Well, and and that's the thing is we haven't seen what he's capable of yet. We haven't really seen what Gideon's capable of. We just see that he is in possession of it. And honestly, in my opinion, I think revealing the saber again in front of Grogu was a little gratuitous. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I don't feel like that was necessary. I, I feel like that was taunting. And and I feel like it was a little over the top. I also feel like it was kind of disrespectful to us as fans to be like, huh, refresh my memory, please, Mandalorian creators. 
<laughs> Does he still have the Darksaber in his possession? Oh, he does? And you threatened the child with it? Okay, I hate this guy even more now. Yeah, and he's, like, holding it in front of him so he knows, like, the kid might touch it. Right. And I, like, cringe, and I'm like, no, don't touch, don't touch it, please! Right, right. Well, and then he, he says something to the effect of putting an eye out with it, and I'm like, oh, not a Christmas story reference. <laughs> Like God, what is this? Not this is Grogu, not Alfie. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like no, you can't have a lightsaber. You'll poke your eye out, kid. Ho, ho, ho. Like, <laughs> no, I just pictured John Carlo Esposito just dressed up as Santa, wielding the dark saber. Um, that's a that's a that's a mental image now. Still, he eats. He chews up the I'm scenery, man. To a meme, please. <laughs> like, Zeus yes. Oh my god. His head over Ralphie on the slide, where where he's holding his hand out, and like it's like the dark saber next to a question mark, and then it's Giancarlo Esposito's head superimposed over the Santa Claus, saying, "You'll put an eye out with that thing." <laughs> I love it. He, I love it. I love I it. Could, I, love it. I, I could come up with really great beams if I had like the technology at my disposal to do Photoshop crap like that. But yeah, uh, I understand the limitations. Oh, I understand. Man. Oh man, I've got to work on like a, a a like a YouTube video that showcases an example of like my sports work, and I don't have the technology to be able to compile the video that I the way that I want it to, and it's frustrating. But yeah. I digress. I digress a lot. Um, I did not care for the prison scene all that much when Esposito actually walks into the room and starts talking to the child. However, I do find it incredibly interesting that Grogu is using the force on those stormtroopers the way that he is. Yeah. He's, he's using them like toys like ragdolls we've never seen him use the force like that before exactly he is lashing out and it's almost exactly as ahsoka predicted in the last episode like he has formed an attachment to mando he's formed an attachment to din Djarin to the point that when he becomes separated from that attachment he starts lashing out at whoever is closest the exact same way Anakin lashed out on the Tusken Raiders in Attack of the Clones when he was separated from his mother. Yeah, yeah. I also I also think it adds to it that he he may have unlocked some more powers when he was doing his old meditation thing on the it, Seeing Stone. That's the other thing. His powers seem to have been heightened. But he was meditating for quite some time. Who? And he went to sleep. And then he and then he fell asleep from exhaustion from from the exertion, which is totally justifiable. But the the Ahsoka's purpose, her reason for sending him to that stone in the first place, was to reach out through the Force to try and come in contact with a Force user, to come in contact with a Jedi. Who do you think he could have come in contact with? I half expected somebody to show up at the end of the episode and join everybody on the quest to rescue him. Yeah. I here here's my here is my 
suggestion here. Uh-huh. I can't. I want to. It's Monday comes. I'm going to be tweeting this out. But for right now, I have to keep keep it contained to the podcast. My idea is that these upcoming episodes will be an homage to the Magnificent Seven. And okay. count the number of characters we have that are confirmed to be on this new team. We got Din Djarin, one. Cara yeah. Doom, two. Yep. Boba Fett, three. Fennec Shan, four. Mayfeld, five. That's five. Yeah. What about Bo-Katan? She has it out for Moff Gideon. That makes six. I think she might show up. Okay. And then, number seven, throw in a Jedi. You got your Magnificent Seven. I think a Jedi is going to show up and join this team, and they're all going to go after Moff Gideon. You don't expect Grief Karga to be a part of that team? <sighs> maybe he will be. Maybe he will be part of that. And, he's, and maybe he's, he's, he, he is the Magistrate of Serrano now. So Yeah, I feel like he has other things going on, and he didn't show up at the end of this episode for a reason. I mean, I would be totally on board with Carl Weathers coming back and, and, and being a badass, but, like, I feel like that's not really in his character. He's kind of, like, being this, the stand-up guy that's just taking care of his planet, so he's not really going to, like, go off and join this crew of bounty hunters or whatever. Right, right. Whereas Cara um, Dune is, like, a New Republic marshal now. Like, that's her job. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, tell, me, tell me this. Why do you feel Mando needs... Mayfield's services specifically. I think I think he was talking about specifically he's drawing on his imperial experience. He needs someone who worked for the Empire, knows the ins and outs of it, and can can maybe help him sneak on or just knows their tactics and can get get around them. No one else is gonna know that. Not even Boba Fett, I don't think. Like so, he need, Mayfeld's is their inside man. Boba's been kind of out of the loop for a while now, right? Like he infiltrated the Republic army. He was a clone, but like he hasn't done much since then. We know of. As a teenager, you talking about what he did in in the Clone Wars TV series, right? I'm talking about way back, way way back. I mean, there's been a lot of changes to the universe since that happened. Like the rise and the fall of the Galactic Empire, the use of stormtroopers and, and having to recruit and train people instead of just breeding clones in a lab. Like, my gosh, yeah. there's been a, there's been a lot that's changed. So, so unless Fennec Shan has some kind of you know remarkable knowledge of the inner workings of the Empire, like you need Mayfeld. That's why Mando went and got him. Oh, Feld, I'm reading it improperly. I'm sorry, I said Mayfeld. No, it is weird. It is weird. It should be Mayfield. But okay. it's called Mayfield for some reason. <laughs> I don't get it. Mayfield is the name of a street in my town. That's why I get oh, this okay. mixed up. Yeah, and that's generally the uh, Earth. Earth. That's an Earth term. Mayfield. It's an Earthen term. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But uh, I'm gonna just call him Space Bill Burr. That's, <laughs> that's his name. <laughs> Space Burr. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Up in the sky. It's a space bird. It's a space plane. <laughs> no, it's. Space Burr! <laughs> and he comes from Space Boston, apparently. And that's where we're going to go to get him. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Not- oh, that's good. I'm just, I'm looking forward to having all these characters, like, in a posse. And they're just going to go, they're just going to, like, walk in and just whoop up on Moff Gideon. It's going to be so good! Oh, my gosh, dude. Like, think of the the hand-to-hand combat skills that Bo-Katan exerted in her episode. And then 
think about like Mando using uh using using I keep forgetting that that wrist power that he's got the the wrist weapon the the, the... yeah the wrist gauntlet like uh you talking about Bobo right no 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 uh Mando. Yeah, he's got the whistling birds whistling, is the correct term. Whistling birds. Why did I think it was whispering owls? I don't <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, okay, well, so, I mean, Bo-Katan is a night owl, so I can see the connection. Okay. I think your brain was in the right place, just my, not quite there. My brain's not functioning properly. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. Um, he's going to release the whistling birds at least once. Boba's got all of the tricks up all of his sleeves, including out of his leg sleeve, apparently. And then Fennec, being the sharpshooter that she is, like, I saw some shooting in this episode that I never thought I would see before. Yeah. And it was it's... it was amazing to watch, especially the one where she's falling off the cliff and, and shooting them as she's descending. Like... She that. falls, turns around, and shoots as she's falling backwards. Just, oh, oh God. Migna went. I am just, I'm so delighted that Fennec Shan is not dead. Like, that was right. my biggest, like, hang-up with that Gunslinger episode. Not Toro Calican, all right? I can tolerate him. Yeah. It's that they, they put Migna went in Star Wars, and they killed her off immediately, and now she's back. I am so happy. Well, and then everybody's speculation about who the person in the boots was walking up to her was completely justified. Right, right. And then she went and had surgery, apparently. <laughs> Is that what she was showing off when she, like, showed off her stomach? Like, she's got some sort of, like, <laughs> mechanical engineering where her torso should be? She's got, uh, yeah, she's got a robot tummy now. Oh, man, I could say so many things, but I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, man. but She's got, like, a Darth Maul thing going on there. Like, her, yeah, her, bottom, her bottom half is a robot now, I guess. A little bit, seems like. I, but, I mean, the only thing that we have seen in action from these dark troopers is that they can fly and they're able uh, to to pick up a small child and fly it back to the ship like yeah. there was no there was no confrontation there was no exhibition of, of blaster accuracy or powers or communication abilities or it, really much of anything it was like just showing them off it's like oh here they are <laughs> be in amazed and wonderment awe at these things that we're not showcasing what they're actually going to do yet but here they are. Like Gideon, like most Imperials, has a a soft spot for the dramatic. He likes oh, yeah. he likes to show things off. He shows off the dark saber, and then he also shows off the dark troopers. But neither of them have really been put into practical use yet, and that's the thing that frustrates me. Is if you're going to show off these these basically droid-like troopers let them do something other than just capture the child and they didn't and i'm sitting here going um should i be impressed i think they are like holding off i think they are holding back on the dark troopers i think they're gonna have like a big like brouhaha with the with the dark troopers before they get them off gideon in the next two episodes well yeah they're they're gonna be like the sentries they're they're going to be the ones that that protect 
Gideon when it comes time for like the final fight sequence. But why introduce them at all if you're not going to let them showcase even a little bit of their powers? Yeah. Like what if I, I was I was surprised. I, I I thought for sure they were gonna like you know have a big throwdown on the on Tython, but uh, they just flew away. No, and yeah, that's all they do. They they just fly back and and Django Aboba keeps a watch on them, and they they get up into Atmo and he's like, "It's the Empire," like. Does he have some serious PTSD that gets described in some other piece of the canon that I'm not aware of? Like, he says it as if he fears it in some way. That's a, That was a weird line to me that he was like, oh, the Empire, they're back. I'm like, what do you mean? What is this a, like a meta line? Is Favreau trying to tell us something here that this this is like this is maybe with the mention of Thrawn? Is this an heir to the Empire situation? where the Empire is, like, fully back and trying to make a comeback before the First Order? It wouldn't surprise me. It honestly wouldn't surprise me, because Thrawn was was part of the defense fleet in the, in the wild regions and the unknown space. And so when you catch wind that the Empire has collapsed, it would make sense that you would take what you've got left of the Empire to try and help reclaim your territory. Like, I would be very on board with seeing that and, and and trying to see how all of that plays out. Because if all you've got are, you know, a few centuries and some marshals trying to help protect the Outer Rim, it's definitely ripe for the taking. And nobody better than Thrawn would be capable of, of leading such an assault. And it would definitely cause Mando to think about what his priorities are. Like... If the Empire is in this region of space, is it better to 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 be a joiner for a little while and help in this fight against the Empire so that you can have, you know, the, the freedom that you used to have before they showed their heads back up? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just fascinating to me that we're we're going here, that we we do know the future. We know we know the past, we know that the Empire was defeated, and we know the future, that the Empire really isn't defeated. <laughs> it's going to come back. Palpatine's still out there, all that kind of stuff. But, like, they were going in this instance, and what, what is Gideon's whole goal here? What is the overall Empire's goal? What is Thrawn's goal, wherever he is? Like, what are they trying to do here? And, you know, is it just a situation where, you know you know, a lot of the Empire went in the unknown regions and they're like, okay, we're going to do this First Order thing and then some other people like Thrawn come out and say no, we're not going to wait around for 30 years, we're going to do something now and, like, what does that mean? And, you know, what what does Din Djarin kind of throwing in and, and per- perhaps, you know, helping to defeat this fractured Empire, what's that going to mean for the overall galaxy? Okay, and here's one other thing to consider the the drop ships, the transports that were used, their design is very similar to the drop ships that we see the First Order using in the Rise of Skywalker. You're right; they're real close, aren't they? That that boxy design with that particular landing gear and the and the and the drop down release out the back end of the transport that releases the troops, it's very reminiscent of what we saw in Episode Nine, and it makes me wonder. 
are there pieces of this imperial remnant that actually help formulate what becomes the first order yeah i it, it it's like you could i don't know it's it's real interesting to see like Here's, I don't know, like, you, you can see Moff Gideon be part of the First Order, too, I mean, I guess. Here's the here's the biggest problem that I always had with the First Order, was, like, I never really saw enough of them, or, or enough of their formulation, or what regions of space they controlled, for me to view them as a legitimate threat to the galaxy. Especially after the destruction of Starkiller Base, that felt like their capital planet. When it was gone, I was like, um, okay, you've lost your Death Star, essentially, so now what are you going to do? And they just never felt like a legitimate enough threat. I never understood how we came to the line, the First Order reigns. I was like, um, how? You, you blew up one planet in a galaxy of literally tens of thousands. Congratulations, I guess. That, that was a, that was a pretty big jump. That gives you the ability to reign supreme. I would be really interested in seeing Gideon or even Thrawn potentially building up this imperial remnant in the in the wild space and unknown regions and you know some portions of the outer rim and gradually start taking control of certain sectors that become controlled sectors by the first order years later that would give some credence to just how strong they are, that it started just years after the destruction of the Empire, and over the course of, what, a couple of decades, has helped it steadily become one of the powerhouses in the Outer Rim, and is now moving inwardly and causing real problems with the New Republic, so much so that Leia feels like she has to formulate a resistance against them. Right. That would make more sense to me. This whole idea of of changing the names around and calling it the First Order and then calling the Rebellion the Resistance, it's like same song, another verse. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're able to give some credence and some context as to, you know, just how legitimate of a threat Thrawn and the Remnant and what becomes the First Order, you know, I'm, I'm just speculating and spitballing here, but... If that is the evolution that they decide to take it, if that is the direction that they want to, to, to take this, then it lets people realize just how serious of a problem the First Order was in the sequel trilogy. Because for a long time, I didn't see them as a threat or as a problem. But if we see them grow and, and form a hold in different parts of the Outer Rim then, yeah, I have that context going into The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and stuff now. Yeah, yeah, and it's also, you know, it go back to uh, the pilot, um, the guy from Kim's Convenience, he, he, he talks to Cara Dune, and he's like, there's something going on out of here. Like, you know, there's there's stuff. Like, the people in the core worlds, they don't believe it, but uh, obviously there's something going on with the Empire. And, and, like, that whole discussion had me thinking, like, you know, what what are they trying to do here? Like, what is happening is this like a resurgence of the empire is this is moff gideon just out here to collect the child so he can take him to the unknown regions and then they can use whatever they're going to use for the first order like what's what's the end game here i hope we have some some information by the end of the season i hope we have 
I'm not expecting Moff Gideon to die, or at least I hope he doesn't, because right. I feel like he hasn't got enough screen time yet. So, like, I feel like there's a lot more left for that character, or I'm going to be really mad at the end of the season, either way. Right. Um, but, like, ultimately, I just hope we have a better idea of, like, the Imperial threat and, like, what's yes. going on with the Empire. Give us some answers so that we can kind of be anticipating, like, what's going to happen, what is these guys up against they're kind of building an army just to get the child, but it sounds like they need to actually legitimately be building a force to combat the Empire because it's getting out of control out here. Exactly, exactly. When it's just Gideon and his regiment, it just feels like, you know, maybe one piece of a remnant, of a fractured remnant that isn't going to be able to do anything. And that is the the interesting piece of the puzzle that i really hope gets sorted out in these last two episodes and i I don't mean to hedge all of my bets on thrawn i really don't but the 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 legends canon fanboy in me really really hopes that this fractured remnant ends up getting unified by thrawn's return yeah and he's able to assemble those broken and fragmented pieces that are all over the outer rim and helps them reestablish a a greater force and a greater threat in the outer rim that Mando now has to face in order to ensure the safety of the people that he cares about, including Grogu. Yeah, one of the things that I love about the Thrawn trilogy is that you know, it's it's it really it puts the heroes in real danger. It 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 shows the not just the brilliance of Thrawn, but the thought, fact that Thrawn is taking advantage of the New Republic at a very weak time. That they aren't on their feet; they're just trying to get their things. And then Thrawn is just doing these brilliant maneuvers and and really putting them on their heels. And to the point where it really looks like at some point during those books that, you know, he could turn the tables, the Empire could come back, like yeah. thing. Like, what if Thrawn does that here? That Thrawn's like, screw the First Order. I'm going to create my own Empire. I'm going to bring things back. And, you know, like, what if, just hypothetically, <laughs> we need to wrap this up in a minute. I love this. I love this. I love this. So real quick, I'm just going to throw this out there. Okay, so in the books, Thrawn seeks out Joris Sabayoff because he realizes that during the Battle of Endor that the reason they were doing so well is because Palpatine was doing force meditation and was helping the, the army. Once he died, everything fell apart. Thrawn realized that. So he went and got Sabayoff, this mad clone of a Jedi, that he didn't like, but he knew he needed him because he needed a Jedi on his side, or Force user. Mm-hmm. What if he's trying to do something similar to that with, with Baby Yoda? What if this is a whole scheme to get some Force users on their side so that they can actually have a winning chance, I guess? Well, to take it one step further, rather than getting Baby Yoda on his side, what if he wants to be that force user that's helping turn the tide you again yeah you're right like screw the middleman give me your midi-chlorians and i'll be the leader that this group needs yeah and what if it ends what if it ends with esposito dies and then thrawn shows up and picks up the dark saber like i'm the jedi now i'm the i'm I'm the new 
to do bad guy. I don't know if I don't know if we need to take it that far. I'd still like to see Esposito kind of being like the enforcer or you know the 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 intermediary villain, and then like the stuff coming to a head happens around Thrawn. Uh, Gideon could be the Vader to Thrawn's Palpatine, more or less, more or less. And and what would be what would be interesting to see is. If Thrawn gets revealed at the end of this season, and if he doesn't, will he at least get mentioned? Because the scale needs to increase. That's the thing. There have been enough name drops, there's been enough happening this season, and then based on what we saw in the season one finale, these last two episodes, theoretically, are going to pick up in scale. Because episodes seven and eight really increased in scale and scope at the end of season one. So these final two chapters should pick up in scope to what degree yet we don't know, but I'm sincerely hoping that Ahsoka's name drop was not an empty one. And something about this season finale is going to involve grand Admiral Thrawn. Very, very well could happen. I think there's a real possibility. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we could actually see Thrawn at the end of the season. In some form, it's it's possible, but I feel. Or like what if they there's like a, a a hologram from behind, and you just hear his voice? You hear Lars Mikkelsen. I, you I don't actually see him. I could see a hologram. I could see him in person, uh, with like like some officer approaching him on the bridge, and you only see him from behind, and you like only see him in his in his white uniform and like a blue neck but you don't actually see his face yet because maybe they haven't cast who they want to cast yet. Like it's just a presence, but they haven't committed to anybody yet. I don't, I don't know. I think they could do something like that. It's possible, but we will see. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about chapter 14. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that what we're talking about? We were supposed to be talking about the tragedy and uh, I'm going to throw out one really stupid theory that uh, is just for laughs and and shits and giggles um what if what if during his meditation grogu made contact with the spirit of darth plagueis <laughs> which is why he's embracing the dark side and lashing out on gideon's ship and also why they call it the tragedy <laughs> I didn't even make that connection, but I love it. I love it. I, I mean, I genuinely think, I think Ahsoka's concerns about him going to the dark side are are viable. They're they're oh, yeah. they're right. I think I think that this is something they're going to have to deal with. And this kid that doesn't, you know, that's the whole point of training him is that he needs to be trained to not give in to those things, but. Now he's in the company of people who would love to see him lash out and kill uh-huh. people. And, you know, Gideon doesn't care about his own troops. He's like, hey, this is funny that you're you're killing my own guys. Like, it's 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 great. Like, so it's it's very interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see, like, how this all plays out and, and what could happen to Grogu. Oh, man. So so much to so much to, to unpack here. What was your favorite part of the tragedy? Like I know we're I know we're crunched for time, so let let's go into like favorite part and then like 
overall thoughts and and the planet score for this episode? Ooh, I think I don't know. The biggest moment probably is when Din and Fennec are pinned down and they're like fighting him off, and then you hear the you hear the the thing coming over, and then Boba Fett just like lands and just starts kicking ass, mm-hmm. and he's just shooting people, and he's thing. I don't know if it's Tim Morrison in the suit or a stunt double, but like he's incredible. And he just he does all these stances, and then one point he like cr- he like stops and crosses his arms, and he shoots again, and the stormtrooper next to him goes flying. Like it's just, yep. it's ridiculous. It's so good. Like Robert Rodriguez, like the guy has a style clearly, and it is just insane. Like the amount of action, the action they did in there. Um, little, sometimes, admittedly, a little wonky at times, but still just so impressive. It's just, it's so fun to watch. It's, it's visually captivating. And that's, that's what I really enjoyed about it was he utilized every trick in his book, you know, a uh, 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 blaster and the, the wrist gauntlet and the weapons he had on the, on the shin guards. And then he was able to shoot down one of the transports with uh with his jetpack rocket like he utilized every trick in the book and it all worked so well like my jaw was like tapping my chest when <laughs> when he was able to shoot down one transport and it crashed into another taking them both down one man two transports holy crap I know. And he, I love he's like, he's like, I was aiming for the other one. <laughs> right? Like, he's mad at himself for that. But, I mean, you can't argue with the results. Oh, you show off. You, were, you weren't even aiming at it, and you got them both. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Well, dude, I, I, I think, for me, this episode has greater connections to the universe as a whole. As much as I really, really loved the Jedi, I think being able to establish or reestablish some of the connections that happened in here really helps provide some clarity, especially when it comes to, like, uh, the Fett's heritage and and the fact that Jango actually was a part of of Mandalore and, and served during the Civil War. Like, that negates the lies that Almec told in the Clone Wars which we really shouldn't have believed anything that Almec ever <laughs> said in the first place but it like reestablished the canon and helping people realize that yeah this Beskar belongs in the hands of Mandalorians and Boba and Jango were slash are Mandalorians and so I have to pat myself on the back just a little bit here uh huh because I called this, all right? It may not be on a podcast where I can prove it, <laughs> but I called this. I said at some point, they're, they're, they're setting this up. Din Djarin's story about being a foundling. He wasn't born on Mandalore. He was a, just a, a, a kid, and he was brought in, taken in by Mandalorians. They're setting this up so they, they can reverse engineer Jango and Boba's story so they can be Mandalorians, even though George Lucas and, and, and Almec said no. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> Jango's a foundling. He was taken in by Mandalorians. He fought in the Mandalorian Wars. Not technically a Mandalorian. He wasn't born a Mandalorian, but he is. 
and by default Boba is, and here we are. And it's enough that Din respects him enough to go, okay, yeah, the armor does belong to you, and that's that. Like, it's perfect. Yep. It it makes it's not enough of a like like oh you were wrong it's not a, like a slap in the face to George Lucas because he's the one that said that for some reason but like you know it doesn't necessarily contradict Almec Almec could just be just a stuck up jerk saying like oh you weren't born a Mandalorian you aren't a real Mandalorian um but it's it's true and 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 it rights are wrong in my opinion and makes that right well it it does that and then it also gives a lot of like vindication for people who always claimed that Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc like oh yeah like this this has so many like it's got Attack of the Clones connections it's got Clone Wars connections it's got Return of the Jedi connections it's got you know all these different pieces of the puzzle unfolding even ties to season one because of, of Fennec Shan re- reappearing. Like, this show is connecting to itself and connecting to the rest of the universe as well. And this episode does a fantastic job of all of that. Yeah, I just love... It brings Boba Fett in. It increases. It adds more to his story. It adds more mythology to the Fett line. And just makes Boba more of a badass than he's ever been, yep. <laughs> ever. Yep. And again, my biggest complaint: it's not long enough. <laughs> it was a short one, even though it felt really long. It was short. And uh, that is probably why I'm going to end up giving it like I would say a nine out of ten. And 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 here's oh that low, eh? Well, okay, here's. <laughs> I, I'm close. I'm really close to giving it 8.5, and here's why. <laughs> the um, the scenery felt really weird to me. Like, this location has to be the most un-Star Wars-like location I've ever seen in any kind of Star Wars. I'm pretty sure this is the same location where they shot the Kirk versus Gorn fight from the original Star Trek series. See, I'm pretty sure it's the same place. See, it also reminded me of, like, Lord of the Rings. My dad mentioned Chronicles of Narnia. I was also thinking maybe that episode of Firefly where they... Uh, go and and go to that woman's moon and have a shootout in the valley, like yeah, like yeah. I yeah, I can see that too. Like 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 none of it felt like Star Wars, and even even Din was looking around, going, um, "Does this look Jedi to you?" Like, granted, he doesn't know a lot about the Jedi or their culture or anything, but it just very little of it actually felt. Star Wars in nature, and maybe that's what it was supposed to do. Maybe I'm overlooking something. I don't know, but the 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 scenery selection just felt a little jarring to me at times. Didn't distract from the choreography. Didn't distract from the storytelling. But I could think of a half dozen other universes that that location would be good for, and Star Wars would not be one of them. Yeah, I pretty much agree on that it is is a weird location what's funny is that in the comics they previously went to tython in canon comics and it was snowy it was a, it was a snowing planet i remember seeing something about that didn't somebody say like welcome to tython lord vader wasn't that someplace that vader went yeah i think it was a um afro comic or something so right. like i guess 
Tython has seasons, which is interesting that, for a Star Wars. Planet. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's very odd because usually it's like all snow on Hoth or like all summer on Tatooine. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. So this is more. So, this is a more. This is a more Earth-like planet. Tython is because it depends on what hemisphere you're on. Wow, science. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Whatever. Okay, your planet score then. Okay, so my planet score is I'm going to go with I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10 because I think as as great as this was this, this episode worked on, you know, fan service level of giving us Boba Fett and all this great action. It worked on a story level of advancing the plot and yes, even blowing up the Razor Crest is something that's that's going to be huge and affect the show going forward. And then from a just but a from a production level there was think left something left to be desired it did feel kind of cheap yeah for lack of a better term some people said that it looked almost more like a fan film than an actual episode of something from lucasfilm i didn't want to say that but i don't disagree it did feel like that sometimes because it's like you know that's what fan films do. They go out to a location and they reuse a bunch of. They get a bunch of bunch of rocks and they do this. Yep. And I'm not saying that thing, but normally speaking, Mandalorian looks so stunning. It like it's 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 like vistas. It goes all out for even the outdoor stuff. And this didn't feel like that. It felt like it was they were pulling back. Maybe they used up all the budget and they had to just go to the back lot. But uh, um, other than that, I think it was really really well done. And uh, yeah, uh, nine out of ten for me. Awesome. Well, as much talking as we did about uh, Chapter 14, The Tragedy, I, I feel like this episode is more about the action sequences than it is about any kind of conversations that are had. So, I mean, I think some of the dialogue – and another criticism that I will, I will, go, will give people is uh, some, of the, some of the dialogue is a bit cheesy. <laughs> I'm just a simple man making my way through the galaxy like my father before me. Like, great line, but also cheesy as hell. Yep. Yep. But sometimes (laughs) you need a little cheese in your Star Wars. Star Wars has been cheesy since 77, all right? So I'm not going to use that as a complaint. Right, right. But with that, I think there are just much better quotes from... Chapter 13 than there are chapter 14. Some of the conversations that are had between Din and Ahsoka are like some of the best writing just period of the show. And I guess that makes sense since that show was written and directed by Dave Filoni. Like he brought that vision to life exactly how he wanted it. I don't care what anybody says. Filoni's a hell of a writer. He is. He really is. He's just he's got this vision for Star Wars and and he's in a position to do something about it. You know, there's a lot of people that might have really great creative visions for Star Wars, but Filoni's one of the few people who can actually bring that vision to life. And Ahsoka is one of those uh, embodiments of his vision coming to life, literally in live action. And so um, that'll be our quote of the night tonight, and that'll actually be our final segment of the night um, it's a it's a conversation between Din and Ahsoka from Chapter Thirteen, The Jedi, and it's got a lot of references to stuff from previous films, like straight up, almost copy and paste in certain regards. So, without further ado, I bring you all tonight's quote of the night. Is he speaking? 
Do you understand him? In a way, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Grogu? Yes. That's his name. Grogu. He was raised at the Jedi Temple in Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. I've only known one other being like this. A wise Jedi master named Yoda. Can he still wield the force? You mean his powers? The force is what gives him his powers. It is an energy field created by all living things. To wield it takes a great deal of training and discipline. I've seen him do things I can't explain. My task was to bring him to a Jedi. The Jedi Order fell a long time ago. So did the Empire, yet it still hunts him. He needs your help. Let him sleep. I'll test him in the morning. Man, Rosario Dawson. I'm just she she killed it. Oh man. my gosh. Like not just with the choreography and 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 all that sort of thing, but like as an actor. Like brought that character to life. So much fun. <sighs> well, we Whew! did our barbecue segment tonight, so I guess it's time to just say good night. Remember to follow us on our social media platforms at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. We have previous episodes available on StarWarsUnderworld.com as well as our traditional places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and leave a review so that we know what you like, what you perhaps didn't like as much, and how we can do better in the future. We have masks available. If you want some COVID masks themed after this podcast, just go to tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast that's T-E-E like as in t-shirt tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast and uh, yeah our main hosting site is ipcpodcast.podbean.com pod like podcast bean like green bean ipcpodcast 
www.podbean.com. So uh, be sure to go check all those things out. And Ben, where can the folks at home check out your stuff when we're not doing this podcast? Well, they can find me at Ben Hart with no E on the, the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, you'll uh, I might be actually posting something on Instagram recently because, uh, yeah, I was just on vacation. I actually did something fun for a change. Um, so be on the lookout for that. You can follow at the SWU for all latest Star Wars goodness and uh, Radio Razor Crest, which is our our, uh, our Mandalorian show, will be coming up uh, pretty soon for the uh, for the tragedy. And then uh, Culture Slate is over there at Culture Slate. Go check them out. And uh, yeah, that's all my plugs. I've also been on. Uh, go check out my Twitter. I'm not going to plug them all here because we don't have time for that. But uh, I was on like a bunch of shows recently. <laughs> I was on a YouTube show. I uh, forced lightning someone on a YouTube show. Um, I was on Mando Minutes. Our good friend Jess I was on Hype Function. We were on Hype Function. Yep. Just a little while ago. So go check out Jeff Weiss' show. Both of us on there. Basically, IPC plus Jeff, which is like the best thing ever. And we talked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was great. Um, and yeah, so go, go check all that out. I'm not on nearly as many podcasts as you are just because I'm also in grad school and I'm working and I'm doing all these other things and I have to like really really be careful with what commitments I make it was fun being on hype function but I got homework I'm going to be turning in over the next couple of days and that's not going to be very fun so uh, if you want to keep up with my antics then go find me at Zach the voice on Facebook and Twitter it could be talking about Mandalorian. It could be talking about football. It could be talking about anything at all. I don't really have a particular theme on those socials. Um, you can find me on Instagram if you want at Zach.TheVoice, Z-A-C-H dot the voice. Not posting on there quite as much just because I'm kind of going through this weird phase where I don't think I look very good and I don't want to post pictures of myself. So um, I feel you. Fo- follow me at your own risk at those different places, but I do follow back and look forward to engaging with you all in between episodes. Uh, I'm out of commission again next week because there's a playoff football game that I'm going to be announcing, but uh, who knows what happens after that. So uh, hopefully be back soon and uh, lots more uh, really awesome discussions on the horizon. We've got a new format that we're looking at trying out in 2021, so that should be fun. Um, Even though it's almost the end of 2020, we're still vision casting for how we're going to make next year even better. So uh, be sure to be on the lookout for all of that. Absolutely. Should be fun. I have no idea what's happening next week, but tune in for it. It should be good. (laughs) Oh, the improvisational skills of the IPC podcast put to the test one more time. But that's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. Episode 310 is now officially in the books. For Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll tune in again next week. But until then, we're just going to leave you with this final thought. The winding path to peace is always a worthy one, regardless of how many turns it takes. And we hope to see you all right here next week on Intergalactic Peace Coalition. But until then, good night, everyone.
Howdy doody, y'all. This here's a podcast. We talk about things and stuff. You kind of sound the way I did when we first started this show. Do you remember? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I sounded the exact same way, too. No, I sounded worse. Like, I don't know what I was trying to do back then, but I had like this heavy... It's just in your head. It's just in your head. I'm pretty sure I sounded worse. No, it, I mean you sounded pretty. You sound pretty much the same as you do now. Like you were just talking how you talk. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was trying to emphasize that I'm from the south, but I legit like sounded as if I was wearing a hat that night. <laughs> you yes. could, you could, you could hear the stetson on my head getting bigger around the brim by the minute, just by how much my voice was drawing on that episode. Howdy, y'all. This is the IPC podcast, and we'll be talking about some Star Trek and some some Star Wars. Did you guess that I just had that clip of you from way back? Oh, that's what it was. Wow, yeah, that's just a that's very just a per, just a perfect clip. That's very impressive. That's word for word of what I said and how I sounded. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it.